Insider. My name is Jake Van Ness, and I'm from Graphic Precision, and I'm here with my co-host, Carl, from Holy Carp Design. How you doing, Carl? I am between gigs and a little scattered, but that's a pretty good frame of mind for what we're doing today. All right, so I'm going to jump into design news really quick and tell you about a really cool article I saw. So Huffington Post has rebranded. And they had a really cool way that they decided to launch that rebrand. And what they did is they worked with a street artist that does spray painting. And so he unveiled the new logo in one of his spray paintings. But they also, not only did he post it on Instagram, stuff, but he did a time lapse of himself doing the spray painting as well. And what an awesome way to announce a new brand or rebrand and launch but more importantly this guy is incredible like he did a basically it's a hand holding up the logo this hand is ridiculously realistic looking for spray paint i like it amazes me that he did this with spray paint so I, i'll put a link in a show notes so you can actually watch the time lapse and it is just incredible but i just thought it would be a really cool thing to share because Rebranding, it's really important to like make a really exciting launch with it. What a really cool way to do it. So the HuffPost has a new logo. So you could check that out as well. So I'll have that in the show notes. Really didn't have anything else this week with uh, design news, but I thought that one was pretty cool. So I'll have that in the show notes. Um, show notes are at rookiedesigner.com slash rd164. This is episode 164. So, that's all I have for design news. I know you had some stuff come up this week, and I have some things I can talk about as well. So, what what was going on this week? So, this week um, has been really busy with webinar producing, which is one of the side gigs that I do. But um, last week, I was feeling the pain with some of my clients. Um, like, just getting paid for projects sometimes is something that you can wring your hands over and you wonder, you know, what's going on with my clients. And it's an interesting thing because I may, I had made assumptions and they were not to my benefit and my clients, you know, it was good that I wasn't uh, paid on time per se. So um, I can get a little deeper into that. There were two situations, surprisingly. So is it, cause you said you basically made assumptions. Was it assumptions that, you th- you basically thought something was going to happen, and then they had a totally different idea of what was going on. That, yeah, so that I think, is interesting because that could give a topic of managing expectations. I mean, I yeah. think managing expectations is something that's really important as a designer because when we're working on projects, when we're working on our business and doing all that, we have a certain mind frame mindset of what we think is going to happen what's going on and if you don't express your expectations to your clients or even to other designers you're working with that can really trip you up so what what happened with that so i had two situations one of them i had a client that i had kind of taught um taught uh how to do webinar producing the thing that i'm doing today and for three sessions and the particular client um I kind of poked them a few times to see, you know, where was my invoice um, check. And I messaged them yesterday. I was kind of 
not really fuming, but I was kind of like, all right, where are we at? Are they unhappy with the work? Do they feel it's not fulfilled? I was making assumptions on my level of delivery. And so I opened up this line of communication. I asked them, hey, what's up? And it turns out they mailed the check to my old address. So my check went out to, you know, some schmo in a previous <laughs> apartment and they didn't, they didn't even think about it. I went back to my invoice to make sure my current address is on my invoice. And then I, I messaged them and I'm like, I'm sorry, but the check went to a wrong address. Can you check if it was cashed already? And you know, they also will issue a new check too. They'll find out who, who cashed it if it was, and it probably wasn't probably got tossed out. Um, so never assume the worst about your clients, especially ones you've worked with previously and never assume the worst about your services, especially if they're, you're scheduling the next project like I, I am with them. Um, but you know, well, you got to make sure. Yeah. I think that's something I was going to say is that there's two assumptions you made. One, you assume that your client wasn't happy and, and you're doubting your own services. You're down to your own confidence and you really need to be careful with that that you're not causing yourself more stress and more heartache and headaches by assuming that you did something wrong you communicated to your client hey where's this payment several times the fact that they didn't get back to you and really tell you what was going on they assumed you already got paid so it's it's a lot of assumptions on both parts and a lot of lack of expectation. Now, I think one of the things that I'll say that I've run into the same thing is that if you move, you can't just assume that they're going to understand that and know the address is correct. Now, I've had clients mail me a check to the wrong address after they mailed me a check to the right address. So it, you can't control that. But the way to fix that assumption is to lay out the expectation of, hey, my address changed. Just a reminder, my address changed. Did you mail it to the right address? Where now I think you'll have that in the back of your mind that, hey, maybe if I don't get something a week or two after I was supposed to, hey, I just want to double check. Did you send it to the right address? You can use that as kind of another follow-up to make sure that you have that expectation out there, mail it to the right address, and then they won't you won't assume they mailed it to the right address and they won't assume that they mailed it to the right address. So it's a lot of expectations and a lot of assumptions. And I think that's something you have to be careful about because if you don't manage your expectations or man, and it's managing your own, but it's also managing your clients, like making sure that they know exactly how things are supposed to be done, that they know exactly where projects are and, and how things are moving forward. Don't ever assume they know because sure. one, as much as they're not your only client, you're not their only contractor slash employee. It goes both ways. And, and both ways, both people tend to make those mistakes because especially if you have, a, like you said, a relationship with somebody, you get into a comfort zone where you're like, oh, okay, everything's good. They know what's going on. I know what's going on. And then something trips up. And both parties may get frustrated. The way to deal with that is always make sure that you're saying, this is what I expect. This is where things are. This is what you can expect from me. 
and, and just continually put that process in place to make sure that both sides are checked. So here's my question. What, what are you going to do going forward to kind of manage those expectations now? So the other dimension is I recently switched from a sole prop to a corporation last year. So I need to make sure that I get a communication out to people I previously worked with saying, hey, I have a new tax ID number. Here's my new address also for that corporation. And here's how you will handle a lot of stuff going forward. Uh, you may want to do that with bank wiring instructions. You you got to make sure that your con your invoicing method is kind of spelled out with them. And I may even say, send that out with the statement of work saying, you know, at our point of contact, that this is how we're getting started. This is our communication lines. And please make sure to update this in your system. So that's the payment side. Let's back up to the project side. What things do you think you what things do you do to make sure that your clients are on the same page as you when it comes to actual projects and the flow of a project scheduling and all that stuff? Like what do you have tools that you use to make sure everybody's on the same page and what steps do you take to make sure that everybody knows what's going on? Nothing quite so formal as tools as of yet, but it is a conversation and a check-in whenever I'm meeting with the client or chatting with them. I kind of try and set up those expectations around a project, like this logo project that we're doing. Um, I had reached out to a client because they had gone radio silent for about three days, and yet this is a project they want to go, go, go. And I said to them, the only, they love the work that's been done so far, and they, um, they asked me something. I said, the only thing that I get anxiety around is radio silence. So I, I, I would love a communication. Hey, we're taught, we're thinking about this. We're looking at these approaches and we're considering everything. So it's trying to manage expectations while you're within the process of doing the work. Um, it's kind of having relationship kind of be in the same vein of process and running parallel to one another. And sometimes that goes away, but you just got to bring it back. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like sometimes they get really busy with something and, they may not get back to you right away, but that's why it's important to make sure you have in your process the follow-up steps. And it is a real fine balance between following up and being annoying. But at some point, you almost have to be a little annoying because you don't want a project to stall and then all of a sudden they come back to you with unrealistic expectations of, hey, I answered you, now I expect you to jump on this and get it done for me tomorrow, which I've had happen plenty of times. And the way I, I deal with that is to continue that follow-up, maybe get a little bit more stern, not rude, but basically say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a week. If you want to continue this project, we need to make sure that things that communication is key and that things continue to move forward. It is in my contract that if they don't communicate with me well and it becomes dead air for too long, I can actually cancel the project. That's something that's important to make clear to your clients, especially bigger projects. A lot of times there'll be a lot of process steps in the whole thing. You don't want to have 
a project get to about halfway and then have things start to fall apart because communication isn't there and you have expectations of them answering the questions on a timely basis and they have the expectation of, well, when I answer the questions, I expect you to jump on it. It really comes down to communicating. It comes down to making sure that you tell a client where you are in the process. I think that's where a lot of designers can sometimes trip up and annoy a client is because they'll be in the headspace, in the creative space, and they're doing three or four days of creative work. And then all of a sudden they get an email from a client that says, hey, I want to know where my project stands. I think if you're getting that email, you kind of already dropped the ball. Now, granted, if they're a client that's coming to you 24 hours after they give you a project and says, I want to know where it stands, that's different. But if you're going four, five, six days without communicating with your client and they have to ask, you've kind of dropped the ball. So you got to look at that and say, okay, not that you need to let them know every day where you stand, but make sure you're communicating with them enough that they don't have to feel like they're not getting their needs met. So it's really important that it's a balance on both sides. Project management tools can really help with that. There's communication tools like Slack, um, email, things like that, that you can actually set up good communication. Slack is really good because you can invite a client into a Slack channel, and then you can just put notes into Slack and, and they'll get a notification. Not all clients are going to want to be that hands-on, but you may have some that want to be more involved and be, especially if you're dealing with a project manager at a bigger company, that project manager may need those incremental updates so that they can go back to their boss and say, this is where things are. Cause obviously that's their job as a project manager to make sure things are going forward. So there's tools out there to help with that. I mean, I, I use text on my phone for that. I use email. I have a schedule in my email that I say, okay, every two days I will update a client on a project if it's a bigger project. But I, I'll be honest, I drop the ball sometimes because I get really, really busy and all of a sudden it's five, six, seven o'clock at night and I don't really want to be emailing. I can, I don't, but I'm not going to text a client at that point. But I might write an email. I'd rather not wait to that point. But I don't want it to go into the next day. And now it's already the next afternoon, next evening. And I still haven't taken care of it. So it's it's really, it is. It's about managing those expectations. And when you have issues like you ran into, looking at your process and saying, okay, what what happened? Don't get angry at the client. Don't get frustrated with yourself. Take a step back and say, how can I improve this? Like, how can I make sure that this doesn't happen again? Right. And for me, my situation isn't that, you know, all my my bills rely on this one stream of work. I do have the ability to kind of uh, give a little cushion, which is fortunate. But even if, if you're running on a shoestring for now, be even more communicative with your client, be more open and just kind of chat with them and see see if there are arrangements that need to be made you know and always uh don't always assume the worst about yourself your work or your client's ability to pay on time which well, I, back to the not being critical of yourself if you ever feel like that's an issue ask 
one of the worst things you can do is assume that there's something wrong with the work you did or or what what you're doing without asking them. Be open with your clients. Be honest with them and say, hey, I kind of feel like we're not on the same page with the work I'm doing. Is everything okay? And probably 99% of the time you're going to find it's just your head. Your head's messing with you. It, it's making you feel like that's what's really going on. So don't don't fall into that trap. Be somebody that asks the question of, hey, what's really going on? Is there an issue? Because you'd rather know right up front than go three months and you haven't gotten paid because you just curled up into a ball and kind of let it get to you. So don't don't let that happen to you. And we could talk about that more in a later episode of like what happens when that mindset starts to kick in and what we do to kind of push ourselves out of that. Um, so, go ahead. I did have a, another situation which kind of was a moment of serendipity, I guess, and uh, kind of reminded me to check myself and check my books because um, I had another client. It's uh, one of my retainer type agreements um, where I had I, I invoice on around the middle of the month and then I do an updated invoice at the end of the month if I go over on the retainer or there's other addition out of scope stuff. And so I had done this process and it's kind of, they're getting the same invoice, but it's got a different number at the bottom. Now, seeing that and being behind that, having that behind me, I see how that could be an issue for their accounts payable. So my assumption was, hey, it's just on there. I'll get paid it, whatever. Um, <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. But it was good that I was wrong because, you know, when I did get paid for that particular project, I'm like, well, there was an overage of hours. What happened there? And uh, they said, you should really do that separate. And I said, all right, that's fine. And when I submit resubmitted the separate hours, they called me and asked me about a difference because I had actually recorded uh, an additional 20-something hours, and I had only billed them for like the teen hours. I was 10 hours shy. Jeez. So I was cutting myself at the ankles just in a rush to get this invoice out. So thankfully we resolved it. We, we upped the invoice to what it should be. We updated our process for submitting these invoices and everything was on the level. I was again frustrated with the client, but that was my fault because I, I just, I, I was complicating things so to speak. And I need to make sure that I'm invoicing, you know, for each separate item, you know, as, as agreed previously. Well, and I think that was, I mean, that was excellent of your client to come back and say, Hey, you know, you shorted yourself. I mean, that, that's a good client that would actually come back and say that, but yeah, that again, that's look, taking a step back and looking at your process, but at the same time, them communicating to you, Hey, this is how we need it. So it doesn't screw us up on this end. Cause a lot of times as independent contractors, it's easier for us to make a small tweak in our process than it is for a bigger corporation that has a process that they've been using for a long time that they have multiple vendors using. So that that's awesome that they came back and told you that, but then said, okay, let's look at this and fix the problem and make sure that we don't run into this again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've run into many things like that where 
I do things a certain way. I assume that it works for other people and it may not. Um, but also that's why it's important for you to keep an eye on your books too, to make sure that you're following the invoices, that you're keeping up with that stuff because you don't want it to go too long before you discover there's an issue and then actually take care of it. Yeah, it's funny how if you don't keep track of that, how fast it can pile up and it can be an issue. Back to the communication thing and kind of the same thing we were talking about, we actually had a rather interesting topic today come up in BNI. Several people got up and talked about how they were trying to work with other businesses and weren't getting calls back. And I think this is an issue that is prevalent with a lot of service industry people because they get and a lot of sole proprietors because they get so busy that they're working on something and then they don't take the phone call. One, I would say that communication is key. So you may want to pick up the phone call even if you're in the middle of something. I know sometimes that's not always possible. But more importantly, again, managing somebody's expectations, call them back. Don't wait a week and then call them and be like, oh, I was too busy. They're not going to work with you. Because now what, what expectation have you put in place is I'm not going to answer my phone and I'm not going to call you back. Who's going to hire you if that's how you do things? So that, it was an interesting big topic that was actually brought up several times today at BNI that, hey, that, like people are not calling back when we try to get quotes for something. So it was kind of a good reminder to the group to, hey, don't be one of those people because nobody wants to work with those people. Same thing as nobody wants to work with somebody who immediately gets upset and says it's your fault instead of turn around saying, okay, what What happened? Like, look at what the cause was, not just blaming somebody else for the the cause. So that, that's interesting. Those are some really good things that have come up that you went through. And I think that's... Oh, I, I have one more. Oh. It's been one heck of a week. Yeah, I'm not sure if I even need to get into this last one, but let's just say it was a bank error in my favor if it was Monopoly. I had a client pay me twice on an invoice. What's adds complexity to this? It's a client, a client, a client, not a client, <laughs> a client from another country in a really big organization submitted payment direct to my bank for an invoice that was already marked on there or marked paid. So I'm navigating that now too. I have to email the client contact. They have to go back to payable and they have to find out if I refund it through a wire or added as a credit for next year's project i don't know and you know that was one where it was the onus was on me to resolve that because i don't even know if they would have noticed this in the client system <laughs> they probably would have at some point but yeah I, i've had that happen too where i've had somebody either pay me too much or pay me double but the one that drives me nuts and but when my invoice is for Two hundred and eighty-nine dollars and sixty cents. Please don't pay me three hundred. You have no idea. As much as I love that little two-dollar tip, you have no idea what a pain that is to deal with because it completely screws up my books. I then, because especially if it's for a printed product and there's tax on it, you have no idea how much of a headache it is for me to try to go in and tweak the numbers so that I have a three hundred-dollar bill now instead of the two ninety-eight sixty. Now, I know most bookkeepers, if you're listening to this, would be like, why the hell would you even do that? 
but I have I have one client that does that to me every once in a while, and he doesn't even do it consistently, which is what drives me nuts. It's like if you were going to do it and you were doing it consistently, that I know that's how you round everything up. Now, if you round it down, there'd be a different conversation to have, but he's not consistent with it. So I'll get one check that's rounded up, and the next one I get is for the exact amount, and I'm like, you're killing me. But I think the moral of the story with both of us is this is why people use bookkeepers. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And I guess you should just start rounding up your uh, invoices to the next hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So There you go. That'll fix it. As much as I love that $2 tip, yeah, $102 would be a much nicer tip. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any recommendations for this week? Uh, you know, I might ask for recommendations. Um, I got an online printer and they have been awful. Now I'm doing some high-end stuff, uh, what, stuff for weddings, and I need a reliable printer. Perhaps one that even has wholesale pricing. Now I know you have one, Jake, and you could actually plug them if you like, but, um, I'm just fishing for some recommendations. Um, people that do, um... 3x5 cards, folded notes, 5x7 on things other than postcard stock, um, some response cards, envelope addressing, um, reasonable or wholesale pricing uh, would be nice, um, and also reliable, consistent service. So that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I think that that's cool. That's kind of a neat thing to do to kind of flip recommendations on its head and say, hey, we're, we're looking for recommendations. Yeah, I, I have a couple different printers I use. Um, I, I would say the thing that's important is to make sure that you do look locally as well, because a lot of times locally you can have a little bit more hands-on. That's the one downfall with online printers is that sometimes it's tougher to get them to really understand what they screwed up and what you're trying to get them to do. But... Um, I don't want to make any specific recommendations only because nobody's actually sponsoring the show. So I don't want to get into any specifics, but I'll talk to you afterwards about some, but if you guys have recommendations, I do a lot of print reselling. I know Carl does too. So we're always looking for new vendors because different vendors do different types of products. So that's really cool. Um, My recommendation this week is going to be the Pantone color books. As a print designer, I think these are really, really important because, and as, a, as somebody that does logo design and branding, because these color books help you pick out colors that are going to work really well together. Now, they're not cheap. Pantone does have a variety of different ones out there. I'll link to a bunch of them in the show notes. But if you are a graphic designer that deals with print, that deals with branding and logos and things like that, I would highly recommend looking into these because it's really nice to be able to sit down with a client and show them the colors and kind of say, okay, are these the colors that you're interested in using? Here is what it looks like on uncoated paper. Here's what it looks like on coated paper. Here's what it looks like on matte. So there's different booklets. Um, Plus Pantone is constantly adding new colors and, and varieties of colors. They even have uh, colors of the year that they announce every year, which I don't even know what the one is for this year. Um, so it it's something I would definitely check out. So I would check out, I think it's Pantone.com. 
that will basically take you to where they have their color books and all kinds of different stuff. So that's my recommendation for this week is look at Pantone color books. So you got anything else? I think that's it. Um, this kind of turned into a, a coaching session and I thank you for your advice and for your time to reflect back on my, my invoicing issues that came up. Yeah, I think it was, it was cool. Like to, to be honest with you guys, Carl and I kind of jumped on today, not really knowing what the topic would be or what direction we would go in. And we were just like, all right, let's just throw it up in the air and see what happens. So that was kind of cool to, to have that kind of come together for us. So if you want to find us, best thing to do is to go to rookiedesigner.com. All the links are there to all the social media places we're at. All the links are there to all of the different podcast uh, apps and stuff like that that you can get us on. Remember, we are on anchor.fm. If you're an Anchor user, let us know. Shout us out. Let, let us know you're there. Again, show notes are at rookiedesigner.com slash rd164. And if there's nothing else, remember, everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. After the episode. So uh, one thing that I saw <laughs> on Route 1 here in Boston, which I, I almost crapped myself, was uh, this advertisement on one of these digital bullet, bulletin boards, which Clear Channel owns. Um, it had the Godfather on it, like the little... Uh, the logo for Godfather with the Puppet Master thing. Yeah. And I'm like, hmm, maybe this is a Fandango event. It's coming back to theaters. That'd be great. That's on the big right. And then it said the Godfather and underneath in red text of detailing. It was like blank root blank auto detailing. And I'm like, what designer <laughs> just signed their own death warrant? Well, especially and if it was on a, a major advertiser's billboard this thing is like 150 feet no no, maybe 100 feet by 30 feet or something like that it's regular billboard size and it transitions it's in digital billboard so someone went there got the logo a designer actually probably created this and thought nothing of it i'm like uh who's exposed in that the guy that commissioned the sign the designer the 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 billboard company you know, I, anyway. I, honestly, my thought would be, first of all, obviously, the owner of the company is going to be getting it, but then he'll go after the designer. But I could also see where the sign company could be getting a cease and desist from the company as well. Just, wow. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, that's that's a good one, but I got a better one. Now, I live in upstate New York, and I don't live near any major city. So there's some farmland, and, and there's farms around and stuff. And I was following this trailer the other day, and I looked, I looked up, and I was like, "Wow, somebody decided to save money by hand painting their own lettering." Now, granted, there are some people that are extremely talented when it comes to hand lettering vehicles and hand lettering things. This guy was, or this person, was not one of them. It was for 
a like a pony ride business for birthday parties. If you have to put the word fun on the back of the trailer and a phone number that starts with a number at one size and as he's going, the numbers get smaller, I'm not sure I'm going to let you around my children. And maybe that's a little bit judgmental as a designer, but I just thought it was hilarious that it was like, pony rides, fun, phone number, all in like this white paint that looked like something from Huck Finn. Like, that's exactly what it made me think of. And I'm like, who decided this was going to work as marketing? And who is hiring these people? Because also the trailer was a little rough, too. I'm sure. Did the trailer uh, have a commercial plate? (laughs) I don't even know. So that was probably not even insured. Sign your life away on a waiver. uh, It's like saving money is one thing. But if you're talented at hand lettering, awesome. If it takes a wide paintbrush and it looks like you slapped it on there blindfolded, that's a whole different kind of saving money. But it's fun. Uh, Exactly. 